Check Me Out is a production of Panhandle PBS and Amarillo College's FM90 and is a part of the Great American Read from PBS. Local partners include the Amarillo Public Library, the Harrington Library Consortium, and Amarillo College. With the support from Barnes & Noble Booksellers, the Corporation of Public Broadcasting, and the Ann Ray Foundation. I read that book in ISS when I was a kid, and I liked getting <laughs> ISS because you could just sit there and read all day, uh-huh. and you didn't have to learn trigonometry. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I read that book in one sitting, just started it in the morning and finished it as the last bell rang. Wow. Loved it. It's a great, and I was like, this is going to make a great movie someday. And then I saw the movie, and I, I, I don't remember it much, you know, except that it had Robert Duvall in it. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Welcome to Check Me Out, a podcast for book lovers. I'm Amy Hart. Thanks for being with us today. We have three guests, and we're going to be talking about the book is always better, or is it? We're going to start with this list from The Great American Read. It is a list of 100 of the best loved novels, and we're going to talk about the film adaptations of most of these. All right, we're going to start. Chip Chandler is with me. Hillary Halsey is with me. And Baker is with us. Tell Hello. us a little bit about yourself. I'm Jonathan Baker, a lifelong movie junkie and uh, book person. I don't know. (laughs) I'm a former publishing uh, person in New York, and I have a master's in American literature. And I I don't – shut up, Chip. (laughs) Making faces over there. I don't know what you would say. You know, and I'm a movie – like I I go to the movies uh, as often as I can. Anything that's well-reviewed that comes out, I see it. And I watch movies at the house a lot. Well, when we talked about doing this episode, you were the first person we we, we said that had to be here. So cool. That speaks to, well, uh, to your here. level like. of knowledge on both issues. So I'm good at running my mouth. <laughs> and I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> and we should talk about how we met, right? Yes. Hillary and I met. I was a book manager at Hastings, and she was like a 17 year old cashier and. We both realized that we both were obsessed with classic film. And so we would like, at night when we were like cleaning up the junk at <laughs> Hastings, yeah. we would talk about like, you know. Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah, Barbara Stanwyck and stuff like that. And uh, in the Texas Panhandle, when you meet someone who's like, she was 17 and she knew more about classic film than anybody I'd ever met already. And I was like, man, this girl is really cool. And I knew she would go off and do cool things. And she did. And she went to Canada. I'll just talk about you. She went to Canada and she got (laughs) two degrees in film. And now she's back here and we're lucky to have her, though I don't expect that she'll always be here because I think she has bright stars in her future. Is that a right? Thank you. Is that the right way to say that? So, uh, and then Chip is over there too. So, <laughs> Chip, is there while you're at it. Uh, Chip. Okay. Uh, I'm Chip Chandler. I am an avid reader, but I'm also a major movie fan, and I've reviewed films uh, on and off for almost 20 years here in town. I am now a member of Galeca, the Gay and Lesbian Entertainment Critics Association, National. Can you uh, say Galeca again? Galeca. It's a National Critics Board uh, with their own national awards, the Dorian Awards, and I'm very excited about that now. Cool. Cool. I was talking about you last night to someone who didn't know who you were, and I said I would put him up against any movie reviewer in America, any movie cri- film critic in America. We're, like, incredibly blessed. And I've said this on my Facebook before. We're incredibly blessed to have Chip Chandler it's around real here. It's real like, it's on Facebook. Yeah. Like, you and I disagree constantly, mm-hmm. but I always respect your opinion because you know what you're talking about. Well, thank and you. you have uh, 
you're, you're a very wise movie critic, and we're lucky here in the Panhandle to have you, dude. Thank well, you. thank you for those introductions. <laughs> that was very nice. That was very nice. <laughs> to continue. <laughs> All right, let's start with uh, wherever y'all want to start. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you guys kind of run this. You have the you have the copies of the before list. we started. Hillary was talking about her hatred of the 1984 film. Do you want to elaborate? I don't know. It. I think of it along the lines. Okay, so I read 1984 when I was in high school, and I did not like it in the beginning because of the kind of the context being in high school. With a bunch of, and I've said this in another podcast, a bunch of high school just jocks who thought, I don't know, they giggled about really stupid things. So <laughs> I, uh, I I didn't like it. And then I read it again and I watched the adaptation. And it reminds me of the second adaptation of The Shining, where it's just kind of cruddy. Oh, yeah. You the, know what I mean? The TV The adaptation? one that Stephen King approved yeah. of, right. that was yeah. shot at that the That had Stanley. the guy from Wings on it. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Weber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Weber. Yeah. yeah. It has that same kind of like grainy, weird quality that yeah. like those episodes of the Twilight Zone where you clearly change, they've clearly changed from one type of film to another and the lighting's terrible. And it's like, this could be such an amazing adaptation. Yeah. But it's not. And I think, you know, when I talk to my students, because I teach film at Amarillo College, I talk to them about how, you know, novels require a certain you know, imagery, uh, syntax or whatever to allow a thought to cross your mind. But with film and what film does uniquely is how, you know, it's edited, the cinematography, the mise-en-scene, all of that, the sound, especially sound. That's something you don't get when you're reading a book. Tell us what mise-en-scene is. Mise-en-scene, essentially, is, you know, the French, it's within the scene, literally. So if you were to take a snapshot of a scene and it's anything within that snapshot. So costumes, lighting, color, the actors themselves, um, anything literally within the scene. So, and how it's staged together. Right. So when you're adapting to a film, you have to please all of these people who have already had these imagination, these thoughts in their imagination about a book. And that's tough to do. Mm-hmm. It's really tough to do. Especially with something like 1984, which is such a great it's very gray. I feel like everything's very gray and sad. A lot like how I feel like the giver looks. It's just depressing. And you feel for this character so much. And I don't think that the adaptation did that. Have y'all seen it? Uh, I have. And I kind of agree with you. Although it's been a while since I saw it. It was released in 1984. We yeah. In the year 1984, we should say. I don't remember having really any fond memories of it. And I kind of think of it in the way that I think of Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd adaptation, which is like... Sweeney Todd is my top five musicals of all time. And because this guy made a movie of it and he made a crappy movie of it, nobody can make a good movie of it because it's already been done. And so now we have to wait 20 years before somebody else can do it. And I feel like 1984 has, there's maybe a good movie inside that book, but because somebody's done it, it's been long enough probably. And I'm surprised Netflix, you know, isn't. It may come back around. I mean, obviously. Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. I'm thinking like Gatsby. the times are calling for possibly a new yeah, film version absolutely. of 1984. There was just recently a stage adaptation uh, this past season on Broadway mm-hmm. that got wildly divergent reviews, but it sounds like it was a very intense show on stage. So, yeah, I think the time's right for another one. I bet we will see one yeah, I wouldn't, sooner or later. There's if probably not, one in development already. Yeah, if not in a film film itself, an adaptation like Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, something mm-hmm. like that. 
Well, you brought up Hands- Handmaid's Tale. Let's talk about that. Yeah. There's already been a movie of that. Mm-hmm. In that I only vaguely remember. Like, I, I don't remember it at all. Remember. I saw it. I read that book in ISS. My son is in the room here with me. <laughs> but I, uh, I read that book in ISS when I was a kid. And I liked getting <laughs> ISS because you could just sit there and read all day uh-huh. and you didn't have to learn trigonometry. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I read that book in one sitting like just started it in the morning and finished it as the last bell rang and uh loved it it's a great and i was like this is going to make a great movie someday and then i saw the movie and i again i I don't remember it much you know Mm -hmm. except that it had robert duvall in it you know yeah yeah i don't remember it at all which seemed like a weird choice that is an odd unusual um, choice yeah I had a similar experience with the book. I read it uh, on jury duty, <laughs> right? When I was waiting, yeah. I, mean, I at least started. I got a good, I got a good halfway into it. I think mm-hmm. during that, but that forced time along with it. I needed it to get over the hump of the disturbingness of it, and that that I think, if nothing else, is something that the Hulu adaptation certainly brought over. Oh, it, is it Hulu? It is. Oh, mm-hmm. I thought it was Netflix. No, it's mm-hmm. it's on Hulu. It's Hulu's, it's Hulu's it's like big flagship. prestige yeah. flagship okay. show, absolutely. It took me a long time to get through the first season of the Hulu series, which basically adapts the, the entire book. They're mm-hmm. kind of off on their own now that the second season has just started. Margaret Atwood is a master of, I'm a novelist, I should say, and one of the hardest things to do is to marry good prose and literary ideas and themes and have have a book have depth with like telling a really good story that mm-hmm. keeps people locked into the pages. Margaret Atwood is as good as anybody in the world at that. She's a Canadian novelist and she's written some, she's kind of like uh, Ursula Le Guin in this way, the American sci-fi novelist who is also on this list. But Margaret Atwood's written a lot of dystopian stuff and a lot of sort of sci-fi stuff that is like really fun to read, but you when you put it down, it sticks with you because it has a lot of depth to it. Um, and she's really thinking about a lot of big ideas. And I think that those often make, as far as literary novels go, those make good adaptations. You know, you need a plot there. And that's why there are movies that are made of great classic works and they fall flat. And it's because so much of the book takes place within the character's mind, you know? Yeah. And and, and there's, a, there's so much interior monologue. And I think that in some sense, that's why Catcher in the Rye, which is on this list, has never been made into, into a movie. Confederacy of Dunces is another one. Those are maybe the two biggest American books that have never been made into movies that people are often talking about. I think at one point, like, they were talking about making a Confederacy of Dunces with John Candy. Um, oh, boy. Uh, oh, many it's, years it's ago. It's been in it's development been hell about. for and then, uh, years and years and then what's and his years name with Tommy Bo- from Tommy Boy? Uh, uh, Chris Farley. Chris Farley right. at mm-hmm. one point was like linked to a production, yeah. but then it never. But Catcher in the Rye, shifting back to that one, it takes so much. It takes place in Holden Caulfield's mind. He's an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. You read these scenes. You know that it's not going the way he thinks it's going. Like people are looking at him in a much different way than he thinks they are. And how do you portray that? You know, it'd be really tough. But it does have a. It doesn't have that much of a plot either. I would say like it's it's more of a sequence of events and stuff. So I'm glad they haven't made it. It can be done. I think it could, it could be, be. It could I mean, be. There are are certain ways that you can reflect pov that's unreliable you know mm-hmm. it's like sure um, of course and yeah. and i'm trying to think of a movie i'm that is, i've said i've talked about this a lot call me by your name uh yeah true. he's an, an unreliable narrator because he's in the, the throes of young teenage love and hormones and uh but it's 
it's a very interior book, mm-hmm. but it's, it opens up beautifully into a film. I would say American Psycho is maybe the best That's example. That's a fantastic example of, of an adaptation. Uh, of an unreliable narrator, and you really get the sense as you go along that this is not the way that Patrick Bateman, like, the way he sees the world is not how the world is. So I have not seen Gone Girl, and you guys can correct me, but that, that might be another one where it, it changes a little and con- yeah. completely twists. Gets. Yeah. It's and and the and the adap- film adaptation was really well done. Mm-hmm. It's Fincher. Um, it's, it's brilliant. It's Fincher. Yeah. I think that it's, yeah, it's a great portrayal of that unreliable narrator and yeah you know it really is it's such an interesting case because when i heard david fincher was directing gone girl and i had read gone girl and it blew my mind i was like talk about another example of it's a fight club type thing where you're not really sure what's quite going on and that's another good example yeah i'll say when women hijack hijack the boys club like with crime or with sci-fi they add so much depth opt- often to it, and that's what Gillian Flynn did with Gone Girl. Was like, oh, I'm going to take like the this sort of murder mystery and just open it up into so many other layers of like what happens between men and women, what it means to be a woman in America. You know, like that famous section that I can't quote because not that I could quote it, but it has a lot of words that we can't say. <laughs> here. But but it's about the way women are forced to act around men if they yes. want to be. And that's why that book, the plot, yes, but a lot of books have great plots. James James Patterson writes fine plots, you know, but it was because of that stuff. It was because women were like, man, she's saying some stuff that really needed to be said. And it's in the context of this ripping yarn. And it's an example of the book still being better than than the movie, even though Fincher, one of my favorite directors, Mm -hmm. you know, he directed Seven. He directed... Uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Girl, which is was Zodiac. my favorite film of that year. Zodiac, Zodiac is often considered his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, he but to take something, you know, like Gone Girl, most of the the first half of the novel is all written sure. in her letters. And don't, don't reveal the mystery. Here. I will not reveal okay. the mystery, but I will say to take somebody writing letters and and turn a film to that, they did a really good job of of making that happen. Agreed. Uh, it, it's a fine film. It's a. I think it was even nominated, or it was talked about being nominated for best picture. It wasn't nominated for best picture. She, was she nominated? She was she, not. not. But she, she was. Been. She was on the short list for sure. I think. Yeah. Um, what that book does so well is the whiplash, where you're like, I hate this guy. Maybe I don't hate this. Yeah, guy. Maybe, I like, her, maybe I have. I was so convinced that yeah. I hated this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And you, and you I think you hate believe. everybody in that mirrors. book. Yeah. yeah, you hate everybody in that book at at any moment. Right. Yeah. At any page turn. Yeah. Totally. And that's it's he did a he did a yeoman's work uh, directing that movie. Oh, was she? I'm, uh, yeah, we got to correct that. Rosamund Pike was nominated for okay. for best actress. Okay, cool. I was thinking that I, I knew she, she was, was nominated, but that, then I didn't that was his that. only uh, Oscar nomination. Though. Yeah. Okay. Wow. But you know, if he couldn't have done it, I don't know who could have. You know. What a complex! I wouldn't want that job to try to direct that movie. No, uh, out of that film. And I keep thinking about Fight Club in the same way yeah. because that's that's a lot of things to figure out. You know how you're going to make this happen. That's and an interesting case because Fight Club was not the monster bestseller that mm-hmm. that Gone Girl was, and the movie is what that was a reverse yes. Yes. phenomenon. Yes. I used to be the assistant to the editor in chief of the publisher that published Fight Club, and they still talk about that. How you know the movie made that book, mm-hmm. you know, and and made Chuck Palahniuk's career. You know, I've read a couple of his books; they're not great. 
they're not. I mean, he, they're not great. Um, he do, he's not great at plotting. Like he's he's good at sort of plugging into like white boy angst, but he's not he's not like a great craftsman as a novelist. But that's a guy. One movie made his entire career, and I'm surprised th- that book is still incredibly popular. It's a good book, but I'm surprised it's not on this list. You know, and I'm that, too. And if it's probably it had, lurking right below. It yeah, probably, probably so. If there was a 150 list, it would be mm-hmm. on there. And, Absolutely. And the reason that book would be on this list is because of the movie, 100%. Here's another book that I thought that I think is kind of on the list because of the movie, The Godfather. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. You're, I figured you would. Well, The Godfather is my favorite movie. Mm. Um <sighs> God. Because I'm a, I'm a cliche. Yes, <laughs> you are. Stop it. Moby Dick's the greatest book. I like Moby Dick, and I like The Godfather. I like what I like. Lay off me, Hillary Hilton. Okay. <laughs> um, but I will say that The Godfather is the perfect example of the movie is better than the book. And I've read the book, and I, lo- I like the book. Mm-hmm. And Chip, you've read the book too, right? Yeah, years um, ago. But I will say that the books that make the best movies are often genre books, my son and I last night watched uh, The Silence of the Lambs. Um, oh, so good. So good, right? The movie is better than the book. Oh, Thomas 100%. Harris just wrote an excellent, above-average potboiler, mm-hmm. and then a great director got a hold of it. Yep. And, and The Shining, I think, is another example oh, of that. So it's a good. fine book. It's the greatest horror film of all time because Stanley Kubrick got a whole... whole We're going to come back to that I, one. <laughs> I think Chip and I think yeah, the yeah. same thing. But I will say that the reason that The Godfather is... Uh, such a great movie and is often you know at the top of lists of the greatest films of all time is because Francis Ford Coppola got a hold of a book that had a lot of themes that hadn't been unpacked and then he knew how to visually subtly unpack those themes so that on in any given scene and my son again is sitting in the room when he was three years old he would want to watch The Godfather all the time and wow I know I'm wow. that dad yeah. but I remember walking around Chicago with him and he's like so if the Tatalia family were to go <laughs> that's awesome but on any in any given scene you can draw a line uh, it reminds me of the scene in the Moby Dick when all the, the ropes are drawing drawn between the characters but you can you can draw a line there are so many lines of conflict between every character and each one of those lines of conflict has layers to it you know so that's why that that's why you can watch that movie so many times because in any given scene there are 10 different plot lines happening yeah the godfather is at, at least in the top 10 for me of your favorite movies yeah God. godfather God, and slash godfather part two kind of a package oh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> I don't like The Godfather at all. Any of them. We've at all. thought about this Period. Mm-hmm. And I had to watch it. You're talking about genre. I watched it for a gangster film class. And so it was it was better for me to see how where it fits in history in terms of like, you know, you have your from Little Caesars and your, yeah. you know, all of those from the 30s. And then it progresses all the way into the 70s when you, you get – I just – it helped me to appreciate it historically and what it did for that genre, but there is no part of me ever mm-hmm. that says, "Man, I think I'm gonna go sit down and watch The Godfather." No, I haven't watched it in years. Really? But, but it's one of your favorites. I own the three. I own the trilogy on Blu-ray. I, I, it's been a it's few just, years at least since we I've watched it. We watch it at least once a week. Yeah. We almost watched it and last I, night. I don't want to be that person, but I'm going to be that person. I do think there are certain types of novels or books or novels or films that appeal to 
a, a certain gender. I, I really agree. do. That's true. And I, I do. There, it's it's a, a dude's book And I said this on me. the last podcast. Like, I've had to come to terms with the fact that so much of the stuff I love is, like, white, white dude stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm a white dude, but I'm, a, like, a, a, a flaming liberal, you know? Yeah. And I And I, like, how do I marry those things with, like... Um, but mm-hmm. as a writer, I got to say, the story of Michael Corleone, this guy, he's a war hero. He's a good guy. You know, in that first scene, that wedding scene with Kay, he's he's a good dude. He's just come back from the war. He wants no part of his father's business. I'm already he wants, asleep. He wants, no, <laughs> <laughs> he wants no part of the mafia. And to watch that inexorable pull where he's, you know, just when they, I thought it was out, they pull me back, back in, in, right? Mm-hmm. Like. To, to watch him like slowly breaking inside where he's like, I can't fight this. This is like my dark destiny to be a little purple about right. it. You know, like there's nothing he could do. And and it's like watching a slow motion train wreck. You're like, man, what would I have done in this situation? You know, like what is he going to do? My affection for Godfather stems in part from my, my dad. Love is his favorite movie of all time. So there's, there's the some of that tied into it. But it's also just a brilliantly made film. I see some problems with it. I know there are problems with it. I wish there was a stronger woman character in it at all. I wish Sofia Coppola wasn't cast in the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I see all the, the problems with it, but it's still such a beautiful film. You know, I went to a discussion of The Great Gatsby once. Uh, where they said there's no strong female characters in mm-hmm. it, so it's, it's crap. But it's like, that's an arguable question. I think that is not all. true. And secondly, there are no strong female characters in Moby Dick because it's a bunch of dudes on a whale boat. It's a masterpiece. Like, that is not a qualification for me for what is a, what defines a masterpiece. It is a, it's a valid criticism often and certainly of Coppola. we talk about The Shining now. I respect The Shining as a film. It's, of course, brilliantly made and fantastically acted, but it it just leaves me cold. Hmm. Hmm. Um, it just, it's, whereas the book, which is not my favorite Stephen King book, but it's a, it's a good one, it just has this throbbing pulse of yeah. life, like all of his books do. That's one of the things I love about King, is that his books are messy and mm-hmm. just throwing everything out there sure and Kubrick is not like that no. at all so I just I just I tend to think of them as two totally separate entities they there's are there's a really movie are. called The Shining and there's a book called The Shining I, and there's a totally different experience with the, either of them I don't and I don't want to say one's better than the other mm-hmm. but I certainly see where Stephen King has a, a very valid argument like that's not my book yeah <laughs> well yeah. I so I saw The Shining when I was very young, and I because my parents are cool like that, I guess. But Kubrick, for me, and I guess I'm thinking Clockwork Orange and other adaptations that he's done, it is solely his piece of art. Yes, mm-hmm. he he is very you know controlling, manipulative mm-hmm. of, of every facet. Megalomaniacal. Yes, and I don't know if you've ever watched the documentary Stanley Kubrick's Boxes, but you should watch it because it is bizarre and it shows how much of a micromanager that yeah. he was. But I think when you have a director like that who is so on top of you know his vision, it totally changes the adaptation because. I watched the the film, loved it, still love it. One of my favorite movies of all time, I will say. 
But then I went to the Stanley Hotel when I was like 20, mm-hmm. and I bought the book there, and I read it, and it was unrecognizable to me yeah. in, in its own weird way. This and is I, topiaries, like... He, I yeah, know. yeah. And I think that the way that he adapted it, there are so many strange theories about Kubrick because he did keep it all in a, a locked box, too. He wasn't going to really tell you his secrets or, or give anything away, but... The Shining, the film, to me, is more about creating confusion through editing and through the mm-hmm. cinematography and through the set design, even. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about a, a mood and a feeling and that terror that you get from that confusion of, of being in, in that hotel. And so, I mean, I still get that somewhat from the book, obviously, but when I started reading, I was like, what is this? Is this even the same thing? I don't mm-hmm. understand it. And, and I know that obviously it is, but it's just, it is two separate pieces for me. I'm not even a Kubrick guy. Like mm-hmm. I don't love 2001, you know, oh, and people will I like, love 2001. Will drag me through I'm, the streets. I'm street not crazy street. about it either. But it's like, and I said in the last podcast, I love boring stuff. Moby mm-hmm. Dick is incredibly boring in parts and I love that book, but man, 2001 is a bridge too far for me. It takes a guy 10 minutes to walk down a hall. I'm like, let's go. Let's go. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm on I-27, you know, behind that. Like, You're meant to feel that way, though. I know. And it's and it's supposed to create that isolation. And it does for me, certainly. But I just don't love that movie the way that some people do. But with The Shining, I absolutely do. Like, I love that movie. And I can watch it repeatedly. And I can't read that book repeatedly. Well, The Shining, the scene that sticks out the most to me that I don't I can't even remember from reading it if it was in the book. Is the woman in the bathtub that really creepy? I can't remember. Are you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Where he goes and in the I bathroom. Believe, I believe there is something like I that. I believe in there the book. is too. Really? Okay. Well. Inigo says yes, my son. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Not, that. So. But it, it, I think visually you had to see yes. this woman, and if we're all like, I think that's in there, but shows- in the movie you know it's in there. You so remember what, it from the movie. You know, what great makes a great horror movie for me is, like, the same thing that makes a great literary novel, which is, like, uh, a, a strong plot, sure, I think, but uh, but depth, you know, like, and that's why The Shining, that's why that scene is so effective, is because you don't know what is it, going like a, on. The whole thing yeah. is a hall of mirrors, like you were saying, like, like it's the whole thing has created confusion through cinematography and stuff. And you just mm-hmm. that that's real isolation. You go in there and you're like, oh, my God, not only is like, I don't even know if that's a ghost or if that's his mind or if it and it's like it's ter- it's absolutely way more terrifying than any kind of jump scare in just a, a standard horror movie. And I think this could go back to a little bit of like the unreliable character or or whatever because Kubrick was really about getting inside of his mind and I think that you are in his mind a lot and that's why you have those really quick jump cuts of like you see the the twins standing in the hallway and then it's like blood gushing out of the the elevator like how do you write that in a book well and my favorite thing about the movie versus the book are the sounds that you hear in the movie because the you know the, the the big wheel on the carpet and oh now God. it's on the floor yeah, yeah. and you've got this humming so sound good. in the background that's constantly going obviously yeah. you can't write that that's a really good point but would i say it's a good adaptation no uh, it's not a good no. adaptation it, yeah. it's its own it's piece its own of artwork thing. yeah mm-hmm. but i mean in that sense is the godfather a good adaptation of the godfather i would say it is but yeah uh, i think so because it's more like building on it, yeah expands opening out yeah yeah rather than reinventing okay
is Harry Potter a good adaptation? Okay. <laughs> yes and no. I I'm am ready. Yes and no. I have been prepared for yeah. this, and I never knew when it was going to come up, but I'm glad it did now. Harry Potter is interesting to me because it went through a cycle of different directors, and mm-hmm. they all had their own mark on mm-hmm. the particular books and how they adapted it. I think as far as, you know, casting, great. I love the casting of Harry Potter. I think they did a good job. It was a lot of what I imagined when I was reading it, and then when it was adapted, I thought, that looks a lot like Hermione to me. She needs, like, better, like, more buck teeth or whatever, but, like, it's okay. Um, Where Harry Potter completely, completely fails for me, where I almost discredited everything, was Half-Blood Prince. And I don't know how you guys feel about it but when something that is so integral to understanding the progression of the entire series is removed which happens in half-blood prince what's the point there are so many people who don't read the books and just watch the movies and i will use my mother as an example and mom i hope you're okay with this but we watched the half-blood prince and she's like what's a horcrux like and then we would watch it you know again and she's like oh yeah what's a horcrux and i'm like well they left out the whole family line of voldemort and all of those sorts of scenes that are really important to understanding what that even is and what kind of dark magic it is and it is so important to explaining the entire last movie and book to people so i hated 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 and they totally sacrificed that tiny detail that's so important for romance they did. It was all Ron and Hermione and all Ron and Lavender. And it's like, I, I cannot, I just, I have, I'm very upset about this. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I just, I, I could not believe it. And that was my favorite book. I plowed through Half-Blood Prince and it's a, it's a pretty long book. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I was very upset with Half-Blood Prince. Before that, I liked them. So on this l- list, is it only Sorcerer's Stone? Or it's the whole series. series. Yeah. Oh, okay. One book counts as seven or ha- 20 or however many. It's generally are- accepted that th- the Harry Potter movies got better as they were. Oh, my goodness, and yes. The Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus did the first two. I don't even ones. watch them I anymore. think we could agree that they're not good. I right. disagree with you oh, guys. Oh, really? I do, too. I, do, I think, really? the, I think oh. the best adaptation is the first book. I agree. Oh, no, the third one for me. No. The third what? One. Ask a bit. As a movie. As as a movie, as a movie, it's mm. the best movie of all stuff. Of I all agree time. with that, but is it the best adaptation? Absolutely not. The first one is by far the best adaptation. I like in my that mind. one with the mermaids. The fourth one, <laughs> Goblet of Fire. Goblet yeah. of Fire is my yes. favorite. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a good adaptation. I like the movie. I don't think it's a good adaptation either. I like the movie separately, and it's like the Shining effect. I did, you know? I should say I only read Sorcerer's Stone. I didn't love it. People are like, you got to keep reading, and I feel that way. I I have this thing where it's like. Don't tell me mm-hmm. to keep reading something if I'm not into it after one book. Life is short, man. You know, like, and I'm I mean, 42, so I kind of miss that. Like, I was in my 20s when the first one came out, you know, and so, so was you. I. But I, I literally read each book in a day. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. Because some of so those are I. like a thousand yeah. pages long, and yeah. I, you know, yes. that's yes. amazing. Same. Yes. But, High five, buddy. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. One They're of these fun days, stories to um, me. The first one is a lot of setup. Mm-hmm. It pays off. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I, I wouldn't tell you to to go back and do it, but the setup pays off. 
I, me. you know me, I read tons of crime novels and mm-hmm. I didn't get that. It's just, it's the YA issue for me. I didn't get a sense of danger. I want to oh, know that it there's, gets, oh, it, it gets, gets there. past that. Yeah. Oh, it, it definitely gets It past gets there, that. but you know, I think you're right. If something doesn't grab you immediately, mm-hmm. why am I wasting my time trying to get there? Because Around? I've tried to, I tried to read the Outlander series. I got mm-hmm. halfway through and I was like, I don't think this is for me. Yeah. And everybody keeps saying, just keep with it. And I'm like, well, at what point do you right. say this isn't for me? And around the same time, I read The Golden Compass and loved it. So mm-hmm. maybe, you know, I, I've, I've always, the Harry Potter movies were fine. I kind of liked mm-hmm. them. Like, I would go see them. Like, I didn't define myself in any way. I'm not part of that cult, obviously. Yeah. The thing about the third movie that I love, to get back to the adaptation, and it's not maybe not a great adaptation of all the plot that goes on in the book, but it's the best distillation of the themes to me. And I think it is of magic. Because of the, because mm-hmm. that's when you get those cool characters like the hippogriff and like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the, the time turner and all of those mm-hmm. sorts and, of but, things. And you also get, it's, it's the most clear, his discovering of his magic powers is uh, is the a metaphor for, for the puberty and, going, yes. and becoming an adult and becoming a man. The, are you talking about the Patronus or? What uh, are you, no, what are you I'm talking about, about his... <laughs> oh my god I'm what are we off. talking about I'm there's a scene no I, I am too a little bit but the, there's a oh, one of the opening scenes he's he's practicing with his magic wand under the under the, the blanket that's why it's a crappy adaptation because that doesn't doing. happen in the book <laughs> no but it's a distillation of the theme he's well, he's that he's 13 in that one god that's a, that's are about really being a 13 year old boy can i no, we're not the subject yes, because you're not we're talking but about wands it's it's about Back growing up train Okay. I get what no, you're saying. It's about I growing up, and I love that movie because of that. Because it's, it just that's the distillation of the themes right there in that in that okay. movie, and that's the best one of them to me. All Can right, I say I something mean, really quick sure. about about Twilight? Oh God! I think the first Twilight movie is a pretty good uh, is pretty good. I like it. I thought it was wow. awful. I like it. Hated the first. Movie. I enjoyed it. it. It ends in a prom. I wish you could see his nostrils flaring. <laughs> I found that all the best movies end in proms. <laughs> in prom. You're such a <laughs> Teen Wolf. Mm, yes. Oh, but uh, Teen Wolf was future, great. Footloose. I mean, I mean. So really, if she's you, all that. If we're gonna go there. Yeah, yeah. Can't buy me love. <laughs> like there is so here's many. The, here's the train track. And yes. We're okay. Okay. Um, can I? I want to direct the conversation and one more, and this can lead to other things. It doesn't have to be just Harry Potter, but no offense to your Twilight comment. I'm really glad you liked that movie. Um, why not? You so, get a werewolf and prom in the same movie. I'm done. <laughs> I am done. I took Sold. my vampire to prom with Where me. Where do I buy my ticket? I think that the issue a lot with adaptation, and this applies to Stephen King. This applies to Gone with the Wind. This applies to. I, I really haven't. I'm not familiar with any adaptation of Lonesome Duff because I've never read the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic TV it's movie. It's a miniseries. It's yeah. the length of the books. So okay. how do you take a book or a series that they're, they're long books, Harry Potter, you know, at, it gets progressively longer as the series goes on. So you have to omit a lot of things, yes. which I was upset about with Half-Blood Prince. But I think that, I mean, that is something you always have to sacrifice. Absolutely. And that and you, that's, Mm-hmm. That's why three works for me so well. Azkaban works for me so well because it's not. It doesn't feel like it's concerned so much with getting every element of her great prose. I really love her writing. I really enjoy her plotting and her characters. But it doesn't feel like it's just beholden to that. 
We're never going to agree on Lord of the Rings. <laughs> That's what he I was going to bring up. Was Lord every, oh, yes. They tried. Yes. It seems like they tried to get every last bit in God, there, but yeah. but they did. Yeah. yeah. They had to pick and choose. They couldn't put everything. In. Was it Tom Bombadil that did oh, yeah, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was such a big. Well, I think Cop- when. I want to say Coppola. With the Godfather is an incredibly long novel. Uh, and the movie is long, but Coppola was smart, and he cut one entire plot. There's just a, a sort of hint of it at the wedding at the beginning about this mm-hmm. singer who— Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the And, and it, his, like, his throat is me. He has to have surgery on his throat. And it's like whenever that plot would come along in the novel, I would kind of go to sleep, and then the other stuff would come back, and I'd be like, all mm-hmm. right, we're back on track. But Coppola was smart, and he cut yes. that out. And uh, and that's that's what a good director does. I yeah, think. I agree with and you. And a good screenwriter. Let's not leave the screen. When back, s- so. with, yeah. with three— on and this is we'll put it to uh rest i guess after this with three when style and i i guess i'm totally being a hypocrite because i just said style is so great for the shining or whatever (laughs) and i love that movie but like i don't know i think when style when it completely confuses people with the plot and like what is actually going to happen later on i have an issue with it if you choose style over that because this the shining can stand on its own it's one book but when you remove really important facts that affect how an audience member in a theater perceives the entire series, I can't I can't get on board with that. And I, I do think that three is a beautiful film. I really it's the most magical one to me. But as far as adaptation, I just don't I can't I can't get on board. I just can't. Let's talk about the Dune adaptation in this context. That's a really long book. Mm-hmm. And is that a successful adaptation? Okay, We're ta- question. Would I have had to read Dune? Have you read Dune? Would I have had to actually seen the entire movie? Ah, see. So I'm out of this. <laughs> uh, I'm actually out of it, too. Yeah. The only thing I know is Jodorowsky, or Jodor- how do you say his name? Jodorowsky. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, Dune. Jodorowsky's that was, was a great that documentary. Was an awesome documentary. Yeah. <laughs> so Jodorowsky almost remade, or almost made Dune, but but it's one of those famous failed projects mm-hmm. is what. Mm-hmm. Hillary's referring to, but uh, speaking of sort of famous failed projects, the original Dune, which was uh, made by David Lynch, was the only studio picture he ever made. Afterward, he swore he would never make another studio picture. He would have completely Mm -hmm. complete control henceforth, and he always has, and he's made consistently better movies than Dune. Although a lot of people, it's got this cult following now, and people love the film adaptation now, because it is still Lynch, and it is still really weird, and it's a really weird, boring, I said it, book. Um, (laughs) It's a really long, boring... I'm not a sci-fi guy, but I'll I'll give sci-fi props when it does it, but man, that book, it just bored me, and I I read it twice for some reason. Uh, I didn't... Anyway, it's never mind, but I had my reasons, but... um, (laughs) But I will say that th- since you guys haven't seen the movie uh, or read the book, that I will just leave that there. But I'll say that it's an interesting, it's an interesting failed adaptation, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that anyone could do a better well, job, including Hodorowski. Well, they're they're going to try it. Oh, really? Denis Villeneuve, uh, who did uh, Blade Runner 2049, he's mm-hmm. planning a two film adaptation. Of yeah, that. yeah, interesting. Which is kind also of the way made to do a rival, it. Right? If you, yeah. Uh, if you want to adapt one of these big weighty tomes, one two hour film, one two and a half hour film is generally not the best. If you mm-hmm. want to try to no, get everything yeah. in there or or be like a Kubrick and make your own version of yeah. it, 
Yeah. Uh, you got to decide what you want to do. If you want to please fans of the books, I mean, and that, that may be a little dismissive, and I don't mean it to be, but if you want a faithful adaptation versus something that was inspired by. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay a lot of times with inspired by because I try to see it as a totally Is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I agree with that. Yeah. Faithfulness. What about Game of Thrones on HBO? I've never read the books. I feel like I've read the books now because I've I've watched every episode and I almost know most of the people's character names. You now. know, I've heard a lot of people say that so much is sacrificed mm-hmm. and omitted, even though it is a long form series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is you still kind of have. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Money only goes so far. The bits and pieces that I've picked up watching the television show and re- and then reading about it, there are some really cool plot lines that are kind of totally d- done mm-hmm. away with, but. The two guys that are in charge of making the show have their own, have their vision, and you can't. I don't think you want to tie a filmmaker or a television maker down, sure, and say you know you have to do it exactly like this. Yeah. I, don't, I think nobody wins in that yeah. situation. Yeah. So we mentioned Fight Club earlier, which isn't on this list, but very well could have been. And I said that that is a book that is only really beloved because of the film adaptation. And I think Game of Thrones is that way, too. I'm not saying the books aren't good. I remember it being a bookseller and, and, and shelving those and going, these look interesting, you know. But then that, but then the, the show mm-hmm. is why that, bo- that uh, series of books is on this list. You cannot argue that. Game of Thrones would not be on the 100 most beloved books of all time in America if it, if not for the HBO show. I agree. I agree I with s- that. I don't know. It's art. You can't really argue something that... I feel like that's it's, it's a pretty small... I mean, it's a genre. Mm-hmm. And it's not... But there's plenty of other genre books on here. I get that. But I think it's one of those. That's a that's a big commitment to, to get into those books. And I think without the shows, I think you're right. I don't know that it would be as beloved. It could have gained... It without the such show, a, it could have gained a following. Like The Wheel it had of Time, it, but it had which its is own on following, here. Though. Yeah. I, was, I was exactly going to bring that up. It already had its own following well before HBO came, came in and mm-hmm. adapted it as No, film. no question. Now, its following has grown exponentially, and it has its own following for its, its adaptation that is separate from the book following mm-hmm. like me right i think i would put i'm not uh, obsessed with it but yeah but i'm certainly more obs- more interested in the, in the tv version of it than the, the book version of it but i think it still would have been on this list it had a very passionate following as a mm. book and wheel of time is is exactly the example of that there's yeah. not a film adaptation of it it was it's it's fantasy strictly for the fantasy readers for the most part it hasn't really branched out beyond that in a wide way but I think Game of Thrones is exactly hmm. they're, they're the same. I, so I think it absolutely would have been on the list without yeah. the HBO. Maybe, maybe. I still don't think so. But I don't maybe. either. I don't either. <laughs> what about The Help, which is on this list? And The Help is an interesting one because I was a bookseller in Texas when that book became popular, and I had never heard of it. And I read, you know, because I read like the New York Times book review or whatever, but it wasn't in there. And oh, these, there's a shock. There's a book by a woman author that I wasn't know. in the New York Shocker. Times book review. Shocker. Yeah, yeah. come on. Um but well, what I'm—that's exactly my point—is mm-hmm. that uh, these Southern wives kept coming in and going, "Do you have the help? Do you have the help?" And I'm like, "What is this book?" And this is before the movie came mm-hmm. out. But that is a book that found knew its audience and found its audience outside of the media, like Blitz. machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then a film adaptation was made, and my Inigo, my son, and I watched it when he was like eight. And we both totally loved it. Like, I think it's, it's so a great good. movie, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the adaptation is mm-hmm. well done. It is. I've, it's I've very well done. Book, but yes, it's, it's great. It's, it's well done. 
I would say. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, it's very faithful. I yes. mean, that's that's the word I was going to use instead yes. of well done. It's faithful adaptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll cry when you read the book, and you'll cry when you watch the movie with the mm-hmm. help. That's yeah. true. Okay. Speaking of southern books by southern women authors, well. Let's do it. It's the best one, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Now, To Kill a Mockingbird, this book and this adaptation, I actually have a struggle in my mind which one is better. I don't know if I love the movie better. I don't know if I love the book better. And I think there are omissions mm. from the book, tons of them, that don't make it to the film. But it's so good. Yeah. They're both so good. And Agreed. I don't... I don't know. Such a rare thing that that happens, yes. right? Yes, yeah. And I and it's interesting because it's done by a director that a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, were not familiar with. He really doesn't have a ton under his belt. But it's like, it was just so well done. And I don't know if it's because Harper Lee was directly involved in the creation of the film or if it's the casting because... Gregory Peck is Atticus. He is Atticus. There is no, I have, I don't know if there's a better casting than Gregory Peck as Atticus in film. And that's probably a really bold statement, but I I do, I do believe that. So I don't know which I love more, but I do think that it's a good adaptation and it's faithful. Totally. And I Mm -hmm. think that going back to what I was saying before, like to be adapted well, I think a book has to have a really strong scene by scene plot structure and, that book definitely has it. It has all these other themes crashing together in it, and she's so good at that. But it is, first and foremost, a ripping yarn, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why it makes such a good movie is because you just portray that crackerjack plot, and then underneath it you've got all of these other layers of stuff happening to hang that stuff on. Well, and layers that stand the test of time. Absolutely. I mean, it, it means core, as much to a high schooler and, you know. problems in America that aren't going away anytime soon. Right, yeah. And and it can it doesn't always have to do with just race. It, it's, no. It's, it's, it's any sort of, like, section that you, or you're an outsider or you, do, you don't belong. And she does it in such a beautiful way with Boo Radley and with Tom Robinson where there, there's that weird clashing and comparison of the two that, wrap up so nicely at the end of the at the end of the book and, and at the end of the movie I mean it's it's it makes sense and you get it and it's a female coming of age story written by a woman like all of the a lot of the stuff that has knocked out other books like Hemingway and stuff like that like it doesn't have those issues so it's only this book 100 years from now is still going to be just mm-hmm. as beloved I agree and the film oh and absolutely film. absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely um, and I, I just I, it's it's obviously the one that I hope wins this entire really contest yeah i do well and it's it's an american author it's a woman which i would love to see a female author win and it's deserving now there's that whole controversy of go set a watchman and i don't even know if y'all want to go into that but (laughs) go set a watchman doesn't exist don't even know what you're talking about yeah okay well i i just think it it's it's also in its relevance is why i think it should win because it is very relevant it's kind of like 1984 for me like it makes a lot of sense right now and currently what's going on in America. So I I think it's relatable and and relevant. Totally. Agreed. On that note, we're going to wrap that one up. Thank you so much, all of you, for being here. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Read and vote for your favorite books. Visit panhandlepbs.org for more on The Great American Read and The Great Panhandle Read, our parallel Texas Panhandle voting effort. 
Special thanks to The Mag 7 for providing our music, Colin Lutz, Scotty Vanderford, and Stevie Brashears for designing our really cool logo. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you may be listening.